Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Reverend Steve Andrews. Today we get to read from Numbers chapter 12. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has Yahweh indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And Yahweh heard it. Now the man, Moses, was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly Yahweh said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And Yahweh came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward and he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, Yahweh, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly, not in riddles, and he beholds the form of Yahweh. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of Yahweh was kindled against them, and he departed. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, do not punish us, because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to Yahweh, O God, please heal her, please. But Yahweh said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought in again. And after that the people set out from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. This is the word of the Lord. It isn't just the people. As yesterday's chapter, the the nation of Israel was rebellious against Moses' leadership and against the Lord. It's not just the people, but it even comes from within Moses' own family tree. Aaron is his brother and Miriam his sister. In the book of Exodus, Miriam is that little girl who who ran along the riverbank and watched Moses in the basket until Pharaoh's daughter found her and then, you know, very craftily convinced Pharaoh's daughter that she knew a woman who could nurse the baby for her for a a time. And so Moses got to grow up for a little bit longer with his mother. This Miriam, the same Aaron who went to Egypt with Moses and got to be his spokesperson and speak God's word to Pharaoh and got to do some of the miracles himself. They rebelled against Moses. And why? Apparently over a woman. Now, who is this woman is an interesting question. Is this Zipporah? Our study Bible doesn't suggest that. Our study Bible sound, says that it it's reading this, especially um, just he had married. It makes it sound like a recent event that Moses has taken on another wife. Now, hey, we could do a quick search here, and I admit I didn't do this, so let's pop this into a I love using Bible Gateway. Um, There are other websites like it, but you can just search the entire Bible just like that. But Moses' first wife that we know from his time in Egypt in the book of Exodus, her name was Zipporah. 
she's not mentioned outside of the book of Exodus. So this could be her. It could be that she has died and Moses is taking on another wife. It could be that Moses is simply taking on another wife. Um, Polygamy is not uncommon in the Old Testament. I don't know that I have an answer for you. I didn't dig too far into this. Now, Cush is a, a reference to a, a land, a region, and the point that Aaron and Miriam have in mind, we're going to talk about that in just a second, is this idea of not marrying outside of Israel, not marrying someone who isn't one of your own people. And regardless of if Zipporah is a Cushite or not, to fit their description, she's not an Israelite. She is truly from outside the people of God. She is the daughter of a priest by the name of Jethro or Ruel. He goes by both names. And he's a priest to a polytheistic religion in the land out to the east of Egypt. Now, Cush is a southern kingdom. So I, to me, it seems to make sense that this is a poor. But again, our study Bible didn't support that. So I'm just giving you some options to consider. Regardless, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3 and 4, which God has not yet given to them as a law, but is the intent here that Aaron and Miriam have. And I'm going to read those two verses for you just so you can hear it. You shall not intermarry with them. That's a reference to the other tribes that inhabit the promised land. Um, so the Canaanites, Hivites, Girgashites, Parasites, Parasites uh, Amorites, all those different clans, Jebusites. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons and taking their daughters for your sons. For, here's the reason, they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of Yahweh would be kindled against you. You would destroy you quickly. The, the Old Testament prohibition against marrying someone outside of Israel has nothing to do with the color of their skin, has nothing to do with where they come from. It has everything to do with who they worship. If you marry outside of the land of Israel, most likely you are marrying someone who follows a different God. And if you welcome that into your home, there's a good chance that they're going to be getting you to walk with them and worship whatever God gods that they worship. And that leads to your death and destruction. So God's Old Testament law about intermarriage has to do with this, this idea of salvation. He does not want his people to be lost. He doesn't want them to even have the temptation. If you want an example of that, look at, I gotta look up the exact chapter. I think it's 1 Kings 11, could be 10, yes. Read the first paragraph of 1 Kings chapter 11 about Solomon, one of the great kings of the Old Testament, who even wrote part of the Bible for us. Was, uh, he had seven, where should I start? Now, King Solomon, start of the chapter, loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh. Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, Hittite women, from the nations concerning which Yahweh had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to Yahweh his God, as was the heart of, his, of David his father. So for Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. 
So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh and did not wholly follow Yahweh as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. And Yahweh was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from Yahweh, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what Yahweh commanded. I cannot tell you, I mean, you can keep reading that passage. It talks about the destruction, well, the separation of Solomon's kingdom. I can't tell you if Solomon repents. We might not see Solomon someday. I don't know. But that's the danger that God knew and was cautioning his people against. And just as a quick side note for this podcast period, when it comes to finding a person, whether you're a parent trying to find a person for your child to marry and, and help them in the process, which you should, or if you're a, a young adult or a, you know a, a teenager, which eh, for all intents and purposes, young adult, looking for someone to marry, number one priority is not love. Number one priority is not romance. Number one priority is not compatibility. Number one priority in the person that you're looking for is that God is first and foremost in their life. That's the big one. Because marriage is not about romance, although romance is fun, it's enjoyable, it's beneficial to marriage. The number one priority in marriage is walking together and serving the Lord doing what he has given you to do, which is to care for his creation. And if your spouse loves God more than they love you, then they're going to love and care for you. There will be forgiveness in your household. That's so huge. Anyway, off topic slightly, but it's what Aaron and Miriam, in a sense, if we're trying to give them best construction here, it's what their concern is. The flip side of that is if this is Zipporah, She's proven herself faithful. When Moses goes to Egypt to set the Israelites free, uh, he's not circumcised his own son. He's not following God's law. And Zipporah knows it, and she circumcises the child to save Moses from God's wrath. So if their concern is Zipporah, she has proven herself to, at that point, have believed in Yahweh herself. So... I don't know, but again, that's context for you in this text. Regardless here of what's going on, it's a challenge that they have set against Moses. God has heard it, and so he calls them out. He calls them to gather together. Uh, Verse 3 points out how meek Moses is. Uh, Matthew 5, 5 comes to mind. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness is essentially being really a pushover. It's someone who won't fight for himself, someone who won't defend himself. He's too humble. He's too gentle. And so when someone walks on him, he lets them walk on him. He's meek. That's the, the picture given here of Moses. It's a picture that Christians are called to in the New Testament, again, by Jesus' own beatitudes, his own blessings. Verse four, come out, you three. <laughs> Does that sound like any time you've chastised your own children? You know, they're fighting with each other and you call them to come before you and, and 
figure out what's going on. Uh, read that way for me. Anyway, verse five, God comes down. He's present right there in their midst. That is a great Jesus connection to it. Uh, Jesus came down. When You could ask your kids, when did God come down for us? Well, in Jesus, he came down. He is present with us. Uh, it's John's language, chapter 1, that, that the, the word of God, which is Jesus, tabernacled with us, dwelt with us. God speaks to Aaron and Miriam. Is there a prophet among you? To prophets who are to speak God's word to his people, he gives them visions, he gives them dreams, he shares with them, he communicates with them in that way what they should tell to God's people, but not with Moses. Verse 8, with him I speak mouth to mouth. So directly, not quite face to face because Moses is not allowed to see God's face. He was allowed to see God's backside, but there physically together in the same room in the tabernacle as God spoke to Moses. That's the reference here. Moses is holy in all of God's house, faithful in his house. Not known in riddles. Uh, that's that's like the parables of Jesus in the New Testament. Hard to understand. No, here he spoke to Moses clearly. The point of God's message here, Moses ought to have the honor and the respect of his of God's people because God has chosen him for this task. So, like chapter 11, God's anger kindled against Aaron and Miriam, and God punishes. Now, the punishment only falls on Miriam, and you might wonder why. And you might ask your children, why not both of them? Why did God not punish Aaron? That would be interesting if your children can come up with the answer. Honestly, I'm not God. You know that, and nor are you. Um, so this is a guess. I don't know God's will. But here's my educated guess on why God did what he did and did not punish Aaron in the same way. Leprosy makes you unclean. Aaron is the high priest of God's holy people. Aaron is supposed to intercede for them every day in the temple, in the tabernacle. If he's unclean, he can't do that. And if he was wearing his priestly garments at this point when this happened, then those garments would also be unclean. And those garments are supposed to be passed down from generation to generation. There's, so there's a lot going on, I think, in that perspective, that, that Aaron must be remaining clean in order to serve the rest of the people, remembering his calling, what God has given him to do. Miriam doesn't have that same calling, and so the punishment falls upon her. And obviously, in the text, all three are grieved. Actually, we don't even hear from Miriam. Aaron is grieved by his sister's leprosy, and Moses is too. We'll come back to that in just a moment. So we see in verse 12, uh, 11 sorry, that they repent of their foolishness and their sin, which is good. And then they petition Moses to, to speak to God on their behalf. So Aaron, even as an intercessor himself between man and God, recognizes Moses has that too and prays, essentially, he asks Moses to pray on their behalf, that God would heal. And Moses does. That's verse 13. Uh, God, please heal her. Please. Notice again, Moses' meekness. You can ask your children, did Moses seek revenge for his brother and sister's un, you know, unfaithfulness to him? Did he 
make fun of them because God chose him? Did he, you know, brag about it and gloat over them like we siblings so often do with one another? No. He didn't want to see harm on Miriam. And so he prays. He prays on behalf of those who have wronged him that God would heal them and care for them. It's good stuff. This is the Christian right here. This is what we are called to do. Even for those who have wronged us, we are to love them, care for them, pray for them, that the Lord might heal them, save them, that they might be reconciled to us. Good stuff there. God responds that she's going to have to wait. The example of a father having spit on a child's face, that one doesn't show up in Scripture. I, I was looking around for it. Um, Leviticus 15, 8, if an unclean person spits on another person, then that, that person who gets spit on is unclean. But that uncleanness only lasts until evening. Um, spitting on someone is a sign of contempt or dishonor. Uh, so this could be a reference to the embarrassment a daughter would face for whatever she's done that, that got her father's dishonor there on, upon her. Hard to say. Um, Deuteronomy 25.9 may also be fitting where you see that kind of a dishonorable thing mentioned embarrassment from the, the person who failed to do his duty uh, for his, his relative, his kinswoman, in that, that instance. Uh, the idea that someone spit on shows up 13 times in Scripture. You might ask your child, your children, who do you know in, in the Bible that gets spit on, spat on? You get it. Um, and it's Jesus. Jesus is the only person that we can mention by name that we know was, you know, had someone spit on him directly in the scriptures, and more than one person. I mean, they were mocking him and spitting on him. So the connection to Jesus and, and Holy Week to, to Maundy, yeah, I guess Good Friday. It's hard to know if it was Maundy Thursday still when they started spitting on him. But out of the 13 times, five of them are people, references to people spitting on the Messiah. And a handful of them are Jesus himself spitting and, and making a, like mud to put on a guy's eyes for healing. So a couple of them. Most of them are references to Jesus, in other words. So they do, um, they put her out of the camp as unclean. That's what you do with the unclean person for a week. Then she's healed. She's brought back into the camp. And then they set out. So they rested. They waited. Um, they didn't leave anyone behind in that sense. They go from Hazaroth, which is in the southeastern part of the Sinai Peninsula, and they move north, kind of into the center of the peninsula, to the area of Paran. And that's where we'll pick up tomorrow.